Our Heavenly Father, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So help me now to preach your word faithfully and clearly. May your word be powerfully at work in our hearts, exposing our sin, changing our hearts, that we may live our lives for what matters most, Christ and his kingdom. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Well, what would you do if you suddenly received 10 million ringgit in your bank accounts? Uh, perhaps you received an inheritance from a relative. Perhaps an investment had an incredible post-COVID return. Uh, perhaps a friend gave you a very generous birthday gift. Uh, or you won first prize somewhere. What would you do if suddenly you had 10 million ringgit in your bank accounts? Suddenly no need to worry anymore about monthly expenses uh, or the children's future uh, or if you lost your job. What would you do with 10 million ringgit? Uh, would you go to the real estate agent, uh, look for a nice new mansion to live in? I think you could just about afford one. Uh, would you go on a holiday of a lifetime? Would you buy a flashy new car than your Porsche? Enroll your kids in the best school in the country or overseas? Or perhaps reinvest the money so that you can make even more money and not need to worry about working ever again? What would you do with 10 million ringgit? Now, I suspect that would be a hypothetical question for most of us here, but it is a good question to expose the motives of our hearts. It will uncover what we're really living for. Would we spend the money on ourselves, on our own pleasure and happiness? Or would we spend the money on others and the service of God's kingdom? How much of that 10 million ringgit would go to church, charity? How much of it would we keep for ourselves? Well, today we're looking at that parable of the rich fool from uh, Luke chapter 12. It comes in the context of Jesus' teaching on discipleship in Luke chapters 9 to 13. In Luke chapter 9, Peter recognizes Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection and begins a journey towards Jerusalem. He says to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So as Jesus journeys towards the cross, he teaches what a true disciple must be like. They must let go of their hold on the things of this world, to stop living for themselves, and to start following him, losing their life for his sake and the gospel, because he says there's no profit in having everything in the world and losing your soul in eternity and so as Jesus journeys on his way to the cross, surrounded by the crowds, he encounters, point one, a greedy conflict between two brothers. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance 
with me. Now, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21.17, it made it clear that the firstborn got a double portion and the rest was evenly divided with the rest. But this brother, for whatever reason, he feels like he's being cheated. He's not getting his fair share, at least in his own opinion. So he comes to Jesus to try and get what he wants. He calls Jesus teacher or rabbi here. Uh, in those days, uh, rabbis often gave uh, decisions on disputed points of the law. They were like local magistrates or something like that. But Jesus wants absolutely nothing to do with this. It says in verse 14, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? It's not a very polite way of addressing him, is it? And it shows Jesus' unhappiness with the whole situation. Jesus wasn't recognized to make such decisions anyway. But even so, that was not his focus. Uh, one commentator, Leon Morris, he says, puts it this way, Jesus came to bring people to God, not to bring property to people. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He perceives the root cause of this dispute. Greed. In verse 15, he says to them, I think both brothers, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. See, Jesus sees here two brothers that care more about money than about each other. They love money so much that they're willing to drag this dispute into the public, even before this great crowd. They're willing to ruin their relationship with each other if only it means they could just get a little bit more money. It's pure greed. And Jesus has a stern and solemn warning for them. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says, beware of greed. Because life is not about money. Life is not about how much stuff you have. I think it's a stark contrast to what most people believe. Our world tells us money is power. Money brings happiness. Money creates comfort. Money ensures security of the future. And so like the world, we're tempted to chase after happiness and security and so on by gaining more and more money. We say to ourselves, if I just had that car or that house, or that amount of savings in my bank account, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be secure. If I just had the five C's, car, cash, condo, credit card, country club membership, maybe we would say swimming club membership, then life would be worth it. But greed is a desire that can never be satisfied. Because no matter how much you have, it's never enough. There's always more to own, more to possess. You ask someone how much money is enough, and they'll say, more. But Jesus says, no. The parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
So this wealthy farmer is utterly self-focused. He's already rich. He's got more than one barn. But his focus is on becoming richer still, building bigger barns to store this bumper crop so that he can relax and look forward to years of pleasure. His whole plan reeks of arrogance and self-sufficiency because despite what he thinks, he owes his great riches to God. I mean, yes, he must have worked hard for it to bring in the harvest, but it was God who sent the rain that he needed. It was God who caused the crops to grow. We ought to give thanks to God for whatever good things he provides for us. We ought to recognize that every good thing we have is ultimately a gift of God. The gifts, the opportunity, the wealth, the intelligence, it owes all to him. In the end, we should give thanks. But this man, he doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about others. Not once does he stop to thank God for his riches. Not once does he stop to consider how he could use his riches to help others. He's utterly self-focused. And that self-centeredness is very evident in the repetition of I and my in this parable. Look again at verse 17. He says, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and their eye will store all my grain and my goods. You see, he attributes his success solely to himself, and he expects to enjoy the benefits solely for himself. He, say, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's greedy. And he lives as though his possessions and his money will make him secure and happy because if he just has enough of it, he can relax in comfort. A happy, secure life. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That kind of life describes many in this world. I think there's a bar just down the road from the church here. I drive past it every single time I come here to the church. And the sign on the side of it says this, eat, drink, play, repeat. And that's an accurate summary of the materialistic lives of most people around us. We always seek to have more things, a better house, a better car, best clothes and food, the latest gadgets. We study hard so that we can get into high-paying jobs. Then we work hard to try and rise up the career ladder. We invest in, uh, pursue investments so that we can have even more money for the future. And we invest in education so that our kids will enjoy the same. Because deep down we think that if we just had more money, then I would be happy and secure. And very often then, our lives become almost indistinguishable as Christians from the world around us. Yes, we come here to church on Sunday. Yes, we may do some Christian ministry on the side. But our, really, our main focus, our main priority is our career, our money, our comfort, our family. We're living for now, not for the world to come. But Jesus wants us to understand that such a person is, in fact, a fool. Because life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. 
Despite our delusions, money and possessions do not buy happiness or security or the pleasure that we really desire. This greedy man, point three, was in fact a greedy fool. Now the psalmist writes this in Psalm 49. Man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And this proud, greedy man in this parable was about to find out how dreadfully true those words are. In his arrogant pride, he planned to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And just in a moment, all his wealth is shown to be the vain security that it really was as he encounters the one who really is in control of his life. This man is a fool because he spent his entire life chasing after riches and wealth without regard for God and others, forgetting that riches are temporary and that you cannot take them with you past the grave. He discovered that wealth cannot save you from death and it's of no value when you stand before the judgment throne of God. It's tragic, really. He works and works in the hope that one day he'll get to enjoy all this wealth. But he never does. Suddenly and unexpectedly, death comes, and he never gets what he wants. Again, I think many people make the same mistake. They spend their entire life working and working, investing and saving, so that one day they can relax. They can retire. They can enjoy that nice house, spend time eating the, the good food. And before they get to do all that, they get a cancer diagnosis. They have a car accident. Or there's a COVID pandemic. And suddenly, all their plans vanish. And what is worse, in the pursuit of all that wealth, the working and the working, all the time, they ignored God. They ignored others, not realizing they would one day be held to account. We read earlier, Jesus said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And the answer, of course, is nothing. This greedy fool gave up his soul to eternal judgment for the sake of some temporary riches that he never got to enjoy anyway. So you can have all the treasures in the world, but if you are not rich towards God, you are in fact a fool. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus is saying that the supreme folly is to live for money, instead of living for God. 
and knowing that life in this world is transient, that our lives could end at any time, the wise person will not live for now for themselves. They will live for Christ and for his kingdom. They will seek the true treasures that are in heaven, not earthly treasures of the here and now that fade away. Because what we live for now will determine what, where we live in eternity. When Jesus returns, there will be that great reversal where the last will be first and the first will be last. And a foolish life lived selfishly for riches instead of God will be judged. But those who deny themselves and lose their life for Jesus and the gospel will save it in the end. Don't make the same mistake of the greedy fool. Jesus says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So how should we apply this to ourselves this morning? I think firstly we need to take stock of Jesus' warning against greed. It's worth reflecting on whether I myself have bought into the lie that pursuing wealth will make me happy and secure. It's worth asking myself, is there greed growing in my heart? Do I find myself constantly yearning for more? Do I find myself spending my money primarily on things that benefit me? And have I be begun to become self-sufficient because I have some money in the bank account? Here's perhaps uh, one uh, diagnostic tool I heard from uh, another preacher. Uh, suppose a friend were to go through your online banking and they could uh, see transaction by transaction what you actually spend your money on. What would they conclude about your life? Would they conclude that you're living for Jesus and his kingdom? Or would they conclude that you're living for yourself? Now, I think those are penetrating questions, and they're ones, if we're honest, I take it we'll be deeply aware of our own failures. I'm certainly aware of my own as I preach this, the cravings for more, the temptations to look after my own needs instead of the needs of others, the thoughts that a little bit more money than I have now might make me happier or more secure. And I think if you are like me, we need to take stock of this parable before greed grows and we go any farther on that path of delusion that leads to destruction. Now, I think it's hard to avoid such thoughts living in such a wealthy place as Penang. After all, we assure ourselves we're not as rich as those other people down the road. It's not as if I'm driving around in my yacht at Straits Key. What can be so bad about just enjoying a few of the good things in life? But it is crucial that we fight against greed and see it for the destructive force that it is. You don't have to have money to love money. And the Bible says you must make a choice between God and money. You may wish you could have both, but the Bible says you can only choose one. Now, if we recognize the greed in our hearts, the solution is not simply to try and be less greedy. Uh, that doesn't really work. Moral rules don't change the heart. I can say all you want, well, be less greedy, you know, don't spend so much money on yourself. But the thing is, unless you're changed from within, in, 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 if 
Unless your heart is changed so that you value things differently, you'll never live it out. Your behavior will never change. There's only one way to turn from greed and live a life that is rich towards God. And that is to have your heart change as you reflect on the amazing riches that you already have in Jesus. Just a few verses later in this chapter, Jesus will say this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you can have, we, uh, God has given us a treasure that is so much more valuable than money and possessions. He's given us a place in his eternal kingdom. And Jesus died that we might have that place. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 puts it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, despite all our greed and our compromise, Jesus gave up his life for us. He left the glories of heaven to be born in a manger and die a shameful death on a cross. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we might enjoy the eternal riches of a place in heaven with God. It's as we recognize the riches of his grace, as we value a place in his eternal kingdom, then, and only then, Will our hearts be changed so that we seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness instead of the things of this world? So I encourage you to take some time to think how much more perfectly and fully Christ gives us the happiness, the purpose, the security, and the pleasure that we mistakenly look for in money. Because we can only get rid of wrongful desires by replacing it with a greater affection for that which is better, for Jesus and his kingdom. So beware of greed. And then with hearts change, we strive to do what the greedy fool did not, and that is to pursue true riches, to, to be rich towards God as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to be cheerful givers. And maybe this is a good uh, time to revisit uh, your giving, to ask, am I being sacrificial and generous towards the work of the gospel? Am I giving generously towards the ministry of the church? Am I giving generously to those who are in need around me? Now, the New Testament doesn't have any rule about tithing 10% of my income. We're simply called to be sacrificial and generous. For those of us who have relatively less, maybe 10% generous. But for those with more, 10% may be very little indeed. As a general rule, you'll know that you're being sacrificial and generous if it means that you feel the pinch in some way. Uh, when your generous giving means that you can no longer do something for yourself that you otherwise could have. So I personally have been blown away by the generosity I've received from my supporters back in Australia. They've been giving generously to support my ministry for over 14 years now. That generosity reflects such a great love for Christ and his gospel. 
But what about you? Uh, you, like me, may not ever have 10 million ringgit in your bank accounts, but whether you have much or you have little, how will you joyfully, generously use your money for the sake of Christ and his gospel? For one day we will all die, maybe not at a time that we expect. We will face God as our judge. And on that day, we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart from me, you greedy fool. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the riches of your grace that you have lavished upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, not only have you provided us with every good thing that we have, our money, our jobs, our intelligence, our opportunities, our families, you've given us what is most valuable of all, a place in your kingdom. So help us, Lord, not to love the things of this world more than you. Help us to see you as our greatest treasure. And so help us to pursue your kingdom as our first priority is whatever you have given us, including our money, to serve Christ and his kingdom. Change our hearts so that we may be gospel rich instead of greedy fools. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.